I am going to start by praying, asking for God's help. I'd love for you to join me. I also am going to pray for Peter and Kat Kim, who many of you know. Uh, they are at the hospital having a baby right now. And so uh, Peter, one of our pastors here, the pastor of house churches, and his, his wife are there. So we're going to pray for them, and we're going to pray for this time as we open the scriptures, and we're going to dig in. So would you please join me? So gracious God and Father, we do, just as a family, want to wrap our prayers around these two uh, that we love and little baby Elijah who is on his way. Would you please bless and strengthen and encourage them in these moments that they would know that you are present and that you would strengthen Kat in these moments. We love them and thank you that you see them. God, we thank you now as we come to these moments, to these words that this is not an exercise that we do without your strength, without your help. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words and you are the one that can communicate them even through weak and flawed vessels like me to the hearts of your beloved. I pray that you would do that now, that we would all be eager to receive and that as a result of this time that we would be the sorts of people that pray powerfully and that we provide care for those around us with imagination and beauty and God that we would do it all by the love of the Father that has been poured directly into our hearts. Teach us how to be these sorts of kingdom people as we sit at the feet of King Jesus and he instructs us. We look forward to what you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever seen these masked magicians who give the secrets away of the magicians? I've been intrigued by the illusions worked by magicians since I was a child. I, I, I know that these, these masked magicians who then tell the secrets of the magician community are not very well loved among magicians. I don't know a lot of magicians, but I'm assuming they don't love that their, their secrets are given away. But, uh, but I've loved getting to learn because there's always these moments where you see something happen, some illusion, and you're left scratching your head going, how did he do that? One of the most iconic tricks that have been done over the years is the levitating woman. You know, that's one of the most iconic. There's this, as you know, when it's done, there's these, usually it's two chairs or something that the table is propped up on and with a lot of grandiose kind of presentation, the chairs are slowly taken away and then, aha, there she is levitating. And everyone watches and goes, how in the world does he do that? And in one of the revelations that I saw where someone was letting you in on the secrets behind the scenes, it actually is true that this guy's right leg is actually not his leg at all. That in fact, it's a faux leg from the front that has a metal rod under it that holds up that platform. And when he stands there, you see the left leg, you see the right leg, you fill it in and you don't realize that in this moment, there was never any question as to whether or not this woman was going to levitate because she had a steel rod supporting her, you know? But as the audience, we go, ooh, and ah, and we're left going, how in the world did he do that? And as we continue this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, I think in part the text that we're going to study together this morning is where, as Jesus is instructing us, inviting us into something profound and powerful, I think... It's structured in such a way that, that it's almost like a magician revealing the truth of how these untold things are done. 
Because in our text this morning, Jesus is going to sketch out for us a couple of things that if, if you really know someone or if you yourself are someone that is living into this kingdom identity, it will leave people around you scratching their heads and going, how does she do that? How does he do that? In the initial verses, Jesus is going to show us what it looks like to pray powerfully with confidence that God can and will respond to your prayers. We're going to see what it means to pray powerfully. And by the conclusion, we're going to be introduced to something that we all are familiar with at one level or another, I am sure, the golden rule that Jesus is speaking about, the whole law and prophets hanging on this invitation to really provide imaginative care, to really love for those around us. And if you've known anyone that prays with power and confidence that God hears and really actively, consistently loves and serves people around them in the way that they wish they had been loved, that 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 sort of life leaves people scratching their heads going, magic, (laughs) how do you do that? And then right in the center of our text, Jesus, like a you know, like a masked magician going, and ta-da, here's how it happens. We're actually going to treat the middle of the passage last because what we will see is that it unlocks for us a life of powerful prayer and of imaginative care for others. And he's going to actually show us, and here, by the way, is the steel support that makes it possible. So we're going to take this passage as we continue to march through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take it first, last, middle, so that we can experience this reveal that Jesus is providing for us. You with me? We good? Okay. So the first thing that Jesus is going to call us to as we continue on this, this road of what does it mean to see things upside down, to be kingdom people that are experiencing... It's good to see you, brother. You've been gone. Yeah, sorry. An old friend that's back. Does my heart great good. Okay. I have something to do, though. I've got to stay focused. Um, (laughs) The first thing he's going to say is to pray powerfully. Did you hear it in verse 7 and 8? It's an interesting thing that he does here in verse 7 and 8. Let's look at it. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is an interesting approach that Jesus gives, because he's talked about prayer earlier in the same sermon. You may remember that. It's been some time ago for us, but it would have just been moments earlier for those that are sitting with him. And he would have heard that he's uninterested. God's uninterested in us piling up lots of words and trying to be super religious in prayer. He says, go to the secret place and love the Father who's waiting for you there. He's actually putting priority not on lots of words and energy and religiosity in prayer, but in our hearts really being engaged and loving God in the secret place. And here he circles back to say, so it's kind of like this, ask, seek, knock. It's a threefold command that only takes three words. He's just going, just do this, ask, the Lord will answer, seek, you'll find, knock, it'll be open to you. But interestingly, in only giving three commands and three simple words, he provides six promises. He says that if you ask, it'll it'll be answered. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open. And then he says it again, but this time it's not a command. He's just covering us over with promise. He goes, because whoever asks, it's going to happen. Whoever seeks, they're going to find. He's trying to help us see that your activity is about this much and God's activity in prayer is about this much. And he's saying, would you step in to praying with this sort of confidence and this sort of power. This is what Jesus is up to here. 
And did you hear how certain he is? Did you see those words, will? The word will is used four times in those two verses. He will do this. He will do this. The word everyone at the start of verse 8, where he says, everyone who asks receives. Jesus is speaking in big, bold promises about the certainty of prayer. And he's going, hey, would you step into kingdom prayer that operates like this? It's simple, it's powerful, and it's certain that God's going to move. What would it look like to, to pray in these ways, to, to pray with this sort of confidence? Dale Bruner, in making comment on this passage, said this. I think it was helpful, though a bit convicting for me. He said this, this is a law. The way to receive the, from the Father is to talk to Him. The irony is that we carry around heavy bundles of wishes that never become askings. We talk to ourselves about our problem in the form of much thought and worry and sleeplessness. We might even talk about our problems with those close to us, but even we Christians are strangely reluctant to talk about our problems with the Father. Does that resonate at all? That at times there's so much worry and anxiety and churn, and if we really pause and ask the hard questions, have I actually named any of this to God? Sometimes I say I've been praying about something, and what I really mean is I've been worrying about it. And what God's going, no, 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 take that and ask about it. Bring it to me. Be the sort of person that walks through your day kind of almost looking like you're muttering under your breath, walking from one meeting to the next or coming out, because you're just very quickly laying hold of the thing that is threatening your, your peace and you're just immediately naming it to God. You're walking out from the meeting with the boss that doesn't understand what you're carrying, and you're, you're just naming it. He's going, just, it's very simple, just ask, seek, knock. Reminds me of the words of that great hymn that says, what peace we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer, that we are a, a people that, that fritter away our peace because God's going, just ask, just give that to me. In part, I feel like I want, the, I want the advanced training on prayer, but I realize that I just need the elementary word. Like God's just going, well, have you asked me for it? Have you sought me? Have you been knocking at the door? You see, Jesus is inviting us into powerful prayer, and the recognition is that it's a very simple, low bar. Just invite me in. In the rest of the Gospels, Jesus actually gives some more teaching about this sort of confident asking that guarantees a response. And so I just want to provide that because I think we could read this text out of context and go, okay, ask and I receive. So whatever I ask for, whenever I ask it, God's bound to give it. And then when God doesn't deliver in that way, there's part of us that goes, well, shoot, I'm, I don't know that I can trust any of it. I think it's helpful to just hit pause. And before we move on, I want to just give you a little bit of context because Jesus actually, in several other instances through the Gospels, explains that if you ask, you will receive, and he gives some greater context to this. And so I just want to give you this real quickly. There's four really important clarifiers about being able to ask with certainty that God is, in fact, going to move in the response to this request. Four important clarifiers. The first is this, that faith is required. Not perfect faith, not abounding faith, faith like a mustard seed, but in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, he says faith is required. If you're going to ask for something and receive, you actually have to have trust that God has the power to deliver. And sometimes that's why we don't ask, is I'm dealing with this thing and so I'm just going to worry about it because I'm not really sure God can do anything. 
Let me just say this. The first request would be a really good one is to ask him for the faith. Like that's, that's actually a great first, that's, God, I don't actually believe right now that you can do it. So I'm asking that you would give me the faith so that I can actually offer the request. You actually see this modeled with Jesus and the man whose son is, is struggling with demonic oppression and, and Jesus is looking at him and, and the man says, I believe you can do something, but would you help my unbelief? Don't we often pray with two minds? And Jesus understands and he's saying, faith is required. Maybe it's that the first request is ask for the faith to be able to name it to God. The second thing, it's not just faith, but it's to be communal. Matthew 18 says where two or three are together and agreeing, there when you ask, I will give. And so I find that these two work together, that where my faith wavers, I need the prayers of the saints around me. Like when Ollie and Dean and I pray and I'm able to stack my faith with theirs, right? Like, oh, you're praying like you believe this and that's causing something to stir up in me. It's like starting a fire, you start rubbing the sticks together. It's, it's why we together say that the most important meeting that we have together as a body is the first Wednesday prayer. The first Wednesday of each month, we gather in this room and it's, it's like the stacking of kindling. You know, I need to hear you pray. You need to hear me pray because my faith wavers and yours does. But together we start to believe that God is going to hear and respond. Incidentally, the first Wednesday is this week. Um, it's electric. My, I'm not interested in trying to talk anybody into coming. I'm just sad for those that miss because it's, it's truly my favorite thing. Wednesday at 7 p.m., I wish you'd come and experience our faith beginning to be stacked and, and to feel the sparks as we learn what it is to ask, to seek, to knock. The third thing is it should be in Jesus' name. And I don't just mean uh, references if you want to look up John 14 and 16, as well as some other places. He, he specifically says, if you ask, ask in my name and you will receive. Now, this doesn't just mean the sign-off. This isn't like how you sign off your prayers, though that's good and appropriate. But it's not just if at the end of asking for my new car or the new girlfriend or boyfriend that I say, well, in Jesus' name. It's not that, But the saying in Jesus' name is supposed to remind our souls that the more we pray in alignment with his character and his values and his ways, we can pray with certainty and confidence. So in Jesus' name means in alignment with who he is, that as I begin to love and adore him and as together as a community, my faith is starting to grow hot and I go, oh, I want to live in alignment with Jesus. So I'm asking things of him that are in alignment with his character. Now we're starting to pray with with holy power. And the last thing is that we abide in him and bear fruit. Between John 14 and 16 and John 15, Jesus says, and by the way, if you abide in me and bear fruit, whatever you ask, you will receive. And he's not meaning that you are earning it by your obedience. We don't earn answers to our prayer. We will see that very clearly by the time we're done today. But But what Jesus is articulating is that when you as a person begin to delight in the presence of God and you walk with Jesus and you value what he values and his fruit is being produced in your life, it's going to be so natural, so second nature for you to ask and seek and knock about the things that are happening. And those things are going to be things very near to his heart and you will experience more and more power in your prayer life. And so there's four important clarifiers. If you want to understand This powerful prayer, he's going, ask and you'll receive. Ask in these ways, in faith, in community, in my name. 
bearing fruit in me, and you will experience a growth in the power of your prayer. You see, Jesus this week, as he's moving through the Sermon on the Mount, what we see in this section is that he's starting with this prayer, and then in verse 12, at the tail end of our text, he directs his attention to the way that we love and care for one another. He doesn't just say pray powerfully, he says care imaginatively. And I want to I look at this with you. Look back at verse 12 with me. It says this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus states this golden rule a couple times in the Gospels. This is an interesting one. The word love is not used, what he's, what he's, but he is talking about loving others. He's just talking about it in a, in a kind of creative way. Do you see that word wish there? He's, he's actually inviting us to engage our imagination. He's going Think about what you would wish or desire for someone to do in caring for you. And go do the same for another. Engage your imagination. And then he says, the whole of the law and the prophets hangs on this. Which raises the question, is Jesus speaking hyperbolically? Is he overstating the case to say that the whole of the law is bound up in this? There's 613 Old Testament laws and Moses wrote the first five books and the rest of these Old Testament that is establishing God's character and requirements. Is it all truly summed up in saying, imagine what you wish others would do and go do that. Imagine what would delight them and deliver it. I think in essence what Jesus is saying is we don't need better glasses and a thicker dictionary and more theological training to understand the law. You just need to engage your imagination. Just, just engage the simplicity of it. Pause and consider what would delight someone else and do that. That will, that will deliver the whole of the law. You know, you think about it just very simply. We get that with things like murder and adultery. You're like, okay, I don't want anybody to kill me, so I'm not going to do it. All right, that's, that's it. That's just engaged. I don't want anybody to sleep with my wife. I'm not going to sleep with theirs. Let's, let's do that. We, we're like stacking hands. The law, all of a sudden, is just this simple, like, think about it. Do you want somebody to do this? Then don't do it. But it's actually not just the big way. It's all the way across. What you, what you ask of the laws, you go, what about the runaway cow? You know, in the laws, you, you read about, well, if someone else's cow is out and running away and you see it, you need to stop what you're doing, be interruptible, go get their cow and take it back. It's like, be a good neighbor. If your neighbor would like you to take out their trash, if that would delight you, you should do that. You should do that when you're out there. And they're, right? Like he's, he's actually just speaking in such simple terms and helping us realize that God's law is not this distant thing that we're trying to make sense of. It's actually very present if we would just pause and engage our imagination and pay attention. My boys actually led me into a, a worshipful moment of recognizing this recently. Uh, I had a friend that was really struggling just a season of loneliness, sadness, a real struggle. And so we were going to have a boys' night. Me and my three sons and this guy, we were all going to go hang out. And we were driving across town to see this friend. And I gave them the, the like, you know, just the elementary context. Hey, guys, we're going to see this friend. You've met him before. It's been a hard season. And so I'm just going to pray that he might be encouraged as a result of our time together tonight. And we prayed one of them prayed. It was like this sweet little moment. I was like, okay, you know. And we went to dinner, and what I watched, at one point, my nine-year-old son actually got up and went over and sat at this guy's feet. 
so we were kind of finishing dinner, just like sat down on the ground and started to ask him questions. And then he was telling him, oh, that's really cool. Tell me more about that. And now I'm not, my kids are not like the model of perfection. If you've ever worked in kids ministry, you know, it's not, you know, the Morris boys have lots of energy. It was one of these moments where what I realized was this, that for all the ways that the Morris family is flawed and broken, what I realized was this, the law and the prophets is available to like a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, that night they provided such care because they just imagined for a moment, what would it be like to be really lonely? And what would I want? And they gave it to this person. And it was like this worshipful. What I realized, that's the law and the prophets. God's going, this is not hard. The invitation is to pause and to consider what would delight you, what would tend to you, and, and go do it. The struggle is that oftentimes we don't engage in this activity that like this powerful prayer is available to us in this very like accessible way, but we don't. You know, husbands who have little kids at home and as you're driving home at the end of the day, maybe your wife is picking up the kids or you are, or maybe she's been home with the kids and you're on your way home. The invitation, if we're going to obey this sort of command is to, is to in route, not be thinking about our own stress and the challenge we've been walking through, and the ways that people haven't been tending to me in the ways that I deserve, but to actually engage your imagination. Where there's a lack of imagination, there's a lack of love. Engage your imagination and think, what would delight my spouse when I walk in the door today? And then do that. For your, for your roommate, for your coworker, engage your imagination, pause long enough to consider what would delight them and do it. Jesus, in all of his brilliance, just said, all 613 laws accessible to you in all of their purity and beauty, here it is. It's this simple. It reframes every relational encounter and nudges you from the center so that others could be cherished. They could understand their value. And so here we have it in some ways. These two commands that in one way are so elementary, so lowest shelf, just ask and I'll show up. Just pause and consider for a moment what would delight people and do it. Yet the struggle is that if you actually know someone in your life, or if you yourself are living, praying powerfully and caring imaginatively, it's stunning. It's like it's magical. In fact, it leaves us scratching our heads when we really know someone that prays with that sort of power and cares with that sort of imagination. It leaves us going, how did they do that? And the beauty is that, like the magicians reveal, Jesus tells us. In fact, the two commands that we just got to pray powerfully and care imaginatively are, they're lexically linked. The, the words themselves connect them to the same thing that's in the middle. It's kind of like the magician going, ta-da! You wonder how to actually go about this? How to become a person that prays like this, that cares like this? Verses 9 to 11 spell it out for us. I want to I run there with you and see if we can make sense of this together. Verse 9, the first word, do you see it? It says, or, which one of you, you it, just to follow the, the logic in Jesus' mind as he's teaching, he's teaching them saying, ask, seek, knock, it will, it will be open to you, you will find. And then it's almost as if he's surveying the landscape of his congregation out on this hillside and he's like, I'm not sure they're with me. And it's almost like he goes, or consider it like this. 
this is a reframing of the way that he's been talking about. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, Jesus, in the midst, appeals to this relationship that everybody is aware of, of their relationship with their parents. And he's sketching out what it looks like for you to tend to your children. And, and he's connected it to our prayer life by saying, or, consider this. And then, if you're just to look back at the text, verse 12, the golden rule says, so, whatever you wish others would do. He's actually saying, if you understand this, it will help you pray, it will empower you to love, but how, why? Well, isn't it amazing? I love how honest Jesus is. First off, he's telling them, hey, if, if your kid's hungry, you're not going to give him a rock. You give him bread. And he says, and by the way, you're evil. <laughs> Leave it to Jesus to just slide that one in. Did you catch that? He doesn't say we are evil because Jesus knows his own purity and perfection. He's not rubbing his no- their noses in it. He's just saying, hey, listen, you're all evil. Your hearts are twisted. The reason you don't pray powerfully, the reason you don't love and care imaginatively is because you're turned in on yourself. The system is broken. Your heart is flawed. You're evil. He's going, but even still, even in the midst of your brokenness, you parents know how to tend to your little ones. You give them good things. You give bread and fish, not stones and serpents. When your kids are hungry, you tend to them. And then there's this little phrase, how much more? I think it all hinges on that. I think that's the magician's. How much more will the Father give good things to those who ask? He's saying as important and central as the relationship with an earthly father and earthly parents is, infinitely more is the kindness and the tenderness that you are receiving from your father. This is what will change you. I did a little bit of research this week. I I wish I could read it all to you. It's incredibly interesting. Just asking the question, I was asking the question, what sort of research is there available for what effect a father's involvement has on a child's development? And, uh, There's lots. I'm just going to read you a few highlights. It says this, a father's involvement, this is all uh, heavily footnoted. There's lots of scientific research. This has been proven time and again. Father involvement is actually related to positive child health in, in infants, improved weight gain, and improved breastfeeding rates because dad is present. Isn't that intriguing? From the time this child has words or knows who dad is, the fact that dad is present, those children eat better and gain more weight. Wild. As they grow up, it says, uh, children with a closeness to their father are twice as likely uh, to enter college than those who don't, to find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Children with actively involved fathers are 43% more likely to earn A's in school. 33% less likely to repeat a grade. And father's engagement actually reduces behavioral problems in boys, decreasing delinquency and economic struggle, and it reduces the rates of depression in young women when dad is involved. Isn't that wild? 
What Jesus is saying is, you're turned in on yourself. You're selfish. You're not doing it all perfectly. But he says, just by being there, you give good things to your kids. Fathers, you give good things to your kids. If nothing else, be encouraged. Dads, stay engaged. You give good things to your kids. A father's presence provides strength and support, confidence. And some of you, when you hear that, there's like a, a, a tremendous sadness because you go, ah, oh, you're just putting your finger on and digging into the, the sadness that I've known all my life that I, I didn't have that. And the beauty is whether we've had an affirming dad that's been present or not, the good news of this passage is beautiful for both. Because what Jesus says is, yeah, 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 parents know how to give good things, but listen, how much more your Father in heaven, he will give good things to you. He will give good things to you. In a way that will empower you to understand what it means to pray and what it means to love and what it means to live in the same way that just a father being present can teach a little baby how to eat right. Like, how does that work? What he's saying is, it's just the, it's the loving affirmation and presence. And what God is saying is, I will be present with you and I will give you things more than any earthly father ever could. Whether he did or he didn't, I will give it to you in spades. There's a long list of, if we ask the question, what are the good things that God gives to his children? We could make a really long list. I'll just, I'll just name a few. One, he does give instruction. He doesn't leave us to wonder, how do we navigate the world? And if you had a good dad, maybe he did that for you. He taught you some things along the way of like, here's how to, how to study and how to treat someone of the opposite gender and how to manage yourself in a crowd. Maybe he gave you some instructions that you go back to, oh yeah, I remember when dad told me that, you know? And what God's saying is so much more. My word is pure, refined over a fire seven times over. You can trust every single word. That where earthly fathers falter and some of their advice is questionable and some of it is downright dangerous for our souls, God steps in and says, how much more? You can trust every word that I give you. I will instruct you and tend to you. And then beautifully, it's not just instruction, but it's wisdom. God actually promises in the book of James, if you ask, I will give you wisdom. And wisdom is what allows us to navigate the gray where instruction runs dry. There's no chapter and verse for the situation we're in. God, or pardon me, dad maybe taught us a few things along the way, but now we're confronting some new challenging issue. I remember when I was buying my first house and I was scrolling back through dad's advice and it's like, oh yeah, he never instructed me on this one. I didn't need to know this when I was 17. But I remember as we were negotiating, I would call my dad and be like, all right, they just countered with this. What am I supposed to do? And he's giving me some, you know, like real-time wisdom for the actual nuanced, complex things of life. What God is saying is, you may be able to receive some of that from a dad. How much more? I will tend to you in all of the gray and the confusion if you'll just ask. And then beautifully, friends, this is what I need you to hear this morning. How frequently have we trampled his instruction and rejected his wisdom and found ourselves in the most discouraging moments that we, that we encounter? Where we go, I, I know I've, I've run a field. I know this pain that I'm dealing is in some part my own creation. And many of us may have had dads that in those moments where we made the biggest mistakes, where we were most embarrassed, 
this might be the posture we see in our mind. Like, you should have known better. Have I not taught you? Have I not given you instruction? You should know better. But the God who gives us perfect instruction and perfect wisdom, that even when it's trampled and cast aside, this is not his response. He doesn't just give us instruction and wisdom. He actually gives us his very son. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the beauty of this father whose love reorders us so dramatically is that he says, way down at your point of greatest shame, the thing right now that you're still trying to hide or explain away or pretend isn't the case. Because you feel like if I got seen in that spot, if I was really seen there, there would be nothing but arms crossed and a shaking head. And God's going, no, 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 let's go there together. Because there you'll finally understand how much more I have loved you. At your point of embarrassment and shame and sin, at your point of loneliness and struggle, if you will go there with me, what you will find is this posture of open-armed embrace saying, come home, I will tend to you. How much more have you been loved by the Father? He gives us His Son, and with Him He will give us all things. The last note I'd make is He also gives us His Holy Spirit. And teaching on the same passage in one of the other Gospels in another, another time where Jesus was teaching the exact same thing, he, he didn't say God will give you good things. And Luke, he actually says, and will your Father in heaven not give you the Holy Spirit? Meaning that the pinnacle of all the good things is that God will give you himself. He's saying ask and seek and knock because what I will give you is me. You will be loved and warmed from the inside out. I will tend to you and walk with you and provide peace when it makes no sense. And incidentally, when you are loved that way, loved all the way down to the bottom and back, so secure in fatherly love that never leaves you, so whatever you wish others would do for you, you're, you're free to do for them. You see, one of the reasons that we don't obey the golden rule is because we're walking around thinking about all the ways that other people haven't loved us right. The reason we don't serve our spouse is because we're so bound up with the fact that they haven't even said thank you for all that I did, and they're not even aware of what I did. The roommate, the coworker, because we're so bound up. And what God's going is, the big reveal is this, the only way you can do it is, listen, whew, you're already loved. The steel that will support you, that will be the thing that bolsters and strengthens you in the midst of all of life, that will allow you to pray with confidence that my God loves me and he's going to hear me, and that will allow you to provide imaginative care for others, is listen, you couldn't be more secure. You couldn't be more loved in all the universe at any point in time as you are currently in the love of Jesus. How much more? Has the Father loved you? You are now freed to take his good and glorious advice to, to pray powerfully. Ask, seek, knock. He loves you. He will respond. And to imaginatively care for others because you, you're not working from a deficit. You're not waiting for others to consider you. You're full and overflowing with the love of the Father so now imaginatively you can provide the sort of care and blessing for others. It's the big reveal. It's magical. 
Let's go live as kingdom people in such a way that leaves the world scratching their heads and going, how did they do that? And then we can say, let me tell you about the love of the Father as displayed in his son. Yeah, let me pray for us.